Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. telling you more about Victoria Drummond, a woman who broke the boundaries in maritime engineering. She sadly passed away in 1978, and so that's the year I'll be telling you more about. On January the 24th, 1978, the Soviet satellite Cosmos 954 burns up in the Earth's atmosphere, scattering radioactive debris over Canada's Northwest Territories. On February the 11th, the People's Republic of China lifts a ban on works by Aristotle, William Shakespeare and Charles Dickens. This had all started when Chairman Mao came to power and the simultaneous beginning of the Cultural Revolution. His wife, the unofficial Cultural Secretary, began a swift campaign of exercising any work of art that did not meet ideological standards. The ban lasted ten years. On March the 8th, the first radio episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams is transmitted on BBC Radio 4. June the 18th sees England cricketer Ian Botham becoming the first man in the history of the game to score a century and take eight wickets in one innings of a test match. On June the 25th, the rainbow flag of the LGBT movement flies for the first time in its original form at the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade. The 25th of July sees Louise Brown, the world's first test tube baby, born in Oldham, Greater Manchester, UK. The procedure, later to become known as in vitro fertilisation or IVF, was developed by Patrick Steptoe, Robert Edwards and Jean Purdy. Purdy was the first to see Louise's embryonic cells dividing. Edwards is the only surviving partner and was awarded the 2010 Nabal Prize in Medicine for his work, although the media referred to Brown as a test tube baby, her conception actually took place in a Petri dish. And her sister, Natalie Brown, who was also conceived through IVF four years later, became the world's 40th child born through that system. On September the 7th in London, a poison-filled pellet, supposedly injected using an umbrella, fatally poisons Bulgarian defector Georgi Markov, 
He dies four days later. And lastly, during 1978, the Space Invaders arcade video game is released. But this is also the year when, on Christmas Day, Victoria Alexandrina Francis Drummond passes away. She was the first woman to qualify as a marine engineer, and she managed to have a successful career at sea, despite continually encountering prejudice and discrimination. Word of the Week Now, this week's word is pretty apt considering the topic of today's story, and it is... Accolade, which is a mark of acknowledgement, like an award or something like that. As with a lot of words, accolade came into the English language in the 16th century from France. The French noun in turn derives from the verb accula, which means to embrace, and ultimately from the Latin term column, meaning neck. Column is also an ancestor of the English word collar. When it was first borrowed from France, accolade referred to a ceremonial embrace that once marked the conferring of knighthood. The term was later extended to any ceremony conferring knighthood, such as the more familiar tapping on the shoulders with the flat part of a sword's blade, and this eventually extended to honours and awards in general. One day in October 1952, a uniformed woman approached a ship at Avonmouth Docks in Bristol. Odd, must be a district nurse, thought the member of the crew who was watching the old woman preparing to board. Or maybe she was collecting alms for the seafarer's charity, he thought. But as she drew closer, he recognised the purple and gold epaulets. Could that middle-aged lady really be their new second engineer? The ship had been waiting for this crucial team member, but a senior marine engineer who was a woman was a very, very strange thing indeed. The men serving on the obscure little tramp steamer, SS Markab, were about to encounter a 58-year-old living legend, Victoria Drummond, goddaughter of Queen Victoria, a war hero, and one of the most path-breaking women in seafaring and engineering history. Victoria Alexandrina Francis Drummond was born at noon on the 14th of October, 1894. The daughter of Malcolm Drummond of McGinch in Scotland, a landed proprietor, and the Honourable Geraldine Margaret Tyson Amherst. When you look up the entry in the statutory register of births for the parish of Errol in the county of Perthshire, it gives her place of birth as McGinch Castle. Victoria had two sisters, Jean and Frances, whom she was very, very close to throughout her life, as well as a younger brother, John Drummond, the 15th Baron Strange. And it's worth noting that Queen Victoria wasn't just the person she was named after, but she was also... Victoria's godmother. Drummond used to visit the engineering works of Robert Morton and Sons in Errol, which built steam-powered and petrol-engined lorries and buses. And as a young girl, she asked Mr Morton how she could learn to be a marine engineer and go to sea. Morton may or may not have taken the young girl seriously, but he told her to serve an apprenticeship. 
find a shop with a vacancy and start at the beginning, serve her time, and then find a ship that would give her a berth as an engineer. In 1915, when she had turned 21, Drummond's father gave her the green light. Papa gave me a paint box and two Parisian sparkly shoe buckles and said, now you're 21, you can choose your own career. I'm going to be a marine engineer, I said, but I don't think he took me seriously. During World War I, fewer than a hundred women worked among the hundred thousand men serving in the Merchant Navy. But despite all the odds, in 1916, Drummond began working her way up in engineering, starting ashore. Mummy got me an introduction to the manager of the Caldon Shipworks in Dundee, and quickly, my fellow workmates got used to the idea of having a woman working with them. In 1919, Drummond was welcomed into the newly formed Women's Engineering Society, and two years later, she became the first ever lady member of the Institute of Marine Engineers, which is today called the Institute of Marine Engineering, Science and Technology. In 1922, Drummond joined the Blue Funnel Line, SS Anchises, as the 10th engineer for journeys to Australia. This was the lowest rank for her section, but it was still a foot on the engineering ladder. Her work as a marine engineer was met with some controversy. However, Mr C. Booth, the district secretary of the Amalgamated Marine Workers' Union, was reported by the Weekly Dispatch of London in January 1923 as saying how Miss Victoria Drummond will be the last as well as the first woman's ship's engineer. The owners of the Blue Funnel Line allowed Miss Drummond to sail into the Anchises to enable her to complete her 18 months at sea and qualify to become a fully certified engineer and there is not the least chance of their repeating the experiment. Women are no substitutes for men in the engine room of a ship at sea. She is not likely to go to sea again, I should imagine. But Drummond enjoyed travelling, enjoyed getting to see things she'd only dreamed of, like snow on orange trees growing on the flanks of Mount Etna in Sicily, gathering wild flowers in remote groves, gazing at moonlit seascapes, and visiting places such as Gibraltar. Just like the picture I had drawn from imagination, Drummond was a very friendly, amiable person, and she made friends very easily. In fact, she made friends with a married male colleague, second engineer Malcolm Quayle. It was purely platonic, but when in 1924 she wanted to take her exams to become a second engineer, she unwisely wrote to her manager at Blue Funnel, Mr Freeman, suggesting that Quayle be promoted to chief engineer and she could be his second. This gave Freeman the damaging impression that Quayle and Drummond were having an affair. Blue Funnel Line became concerned. I could have told them it was not like that, but they wouldn't listen. And so she was forced to change companies. She'd served on the ship until 1924, making four voyages to Australia and one to China. Word on the street. Today we venture forth to BS2 in Bristol and the rather delightfully named Watercress Road. 
The name comes from the ancient farmhouse here. You see, a small tributary of the Froom rises nearby, and in the 19th century, there were watercress beds here. The area now houses the St. Werberg City Farm and the Ashley Down allotments. After leaving the Blue Funnel Line in 1924, Drummond began studying for her second engineer's qualification. In October 1926, she obtained her second engineer's certificate, becoming Britain's first certified woman marine engineer. However, after qualifying, she was able to find work only as a fifth engineer. Signing onto the British India Steam Navigation Company's steam turbine liner Marlborough, on the 14th of April 1927. Aboard Marlborough, Drummond was again accepted by nearly all the ship's company. The exception was the second engineer, Mr Lamb, who on Drummond's first day aboard told her that he didn't want her there. Drummond said Lamb often shouted at her, occasionally swore at her and thus wore her down. After three years on the Marlborough, the second engineer's seemingly pathological hostility drove her out of that company too. She served on the ship until the 4th of December 1928, completing one voyage to East Africa and four to India and Ceylon. On the 11th of May 1928, whilst docked in the port of Aden, Drummond received an airmail letter telling her that aboard her former ship, Anchises, on the 13th of April, her friend Malcolm Quayle had died. The letter didn't give any details of what happened, and so she had to find out some time later. She started Golden Fisheries with her sister Frances, a small business importing tropical fish, and tried to mend cars, but not only could she not find work, she couldn't advance in her chosen career either. Drummond spent the next 12 years on land, which she found quite hard. From October 1929, Drummond repeatedly sat the Board of Trade examination for Chief Engineer, but every time, the examiners failed her. Drummond took the Chief Engineer exam 31 times. Her tutor at Dundee Technical College was an ally, and she said it even became quite a joke between them. In 1936, one of the examiners admitted to the tutor that Drummond was being failed simply because she was a woman. And if that wasn't bad enough, it turns out that, not to arouse suspicion of this discrimination, not only did they fail Drummond, but they failed all the other candidates sitting the same batches of exams as she did. From 1935, Golden Fisheries, the business Drummond started with her sister Frances, took them abroad to trade fairs in Leipzig, Prague and Vienna. In March 1938, when German forces occupied Austria in the Anschluss, the two sisters were at the trade fair in Vienna. Drummond photographed Hitler in his motorcade and later described that time Vienna as very tense, chaotic and dangerous. In response to their experience, the Drummond sisters helped several Austrian children to enter the UK as refugees and sponsored them by finding schools, accommodation, and paying their expenses for a year. With the outbreak of the Second World War in 1939, Drummond was hopeful that she would at least be able to do the job she loved, 
it was time for me to get back on the ship. Unfortunately for her, the mindset of those in charge hadn't changed, even though the circumstances had. No one would have me. They might be short-staffed, but there was no reason to employ a woman engineer, and certainly not in wartime. And so, despite her good service on liners of two of the most prestigious companies in the Merchant Navy, and glowing references from numerous superior officers, all her many applications were declined. Therefore, on the eve of World War II, she joined Jean and Francis, her sisters, enlisting as air raid wardens in Lambeth, London. Drummond didn't let the blatant sexism of the industry get in her way, and so, not disheartened, she tried visiting the Royal Docks in the hopes of finding a ship that would take her on. During one visit, she ran into an old shipmate who had served with her on Marlborough 12 years earlier. He recognised Drummond in a cafe, and along with his shipmates, they advised her that she should try for a berth on a foreign ship. They introduced her to the representative of Palestine Maritime Lloyd, owned by a group of Jewish businessmen based in Haifa, Palestine. He wasn't really sure about signing her on, you know, a woman engineer, until he saw her papers. And then she was quickly signed to work on the GRT Ha Zion, a ship that could carry both cargo and 110 passengers, and also needed a new second engineer. Drummond mastered disciplinary problems among the engine room crew and then in dry dock in Antwerp finished enough furnace and boiler repairs for Harzion to pass its Lloyd certificate inspection. During one stop-off in Antwerp, Harzion took on a Greek third engineer who clashed with Drummond. The ship then worked its way to Beirut, Haifa and back and on its return trip evacuated the British Consul and part of the British Expeditionary Force from Marseille to Gibraltar. When the ship returned to London in July 1940, Drummond left to get away from the third engineer. About a month later, in August 1940, Harzion was sunk in the western approaches by the German submarine U-38, with the loss of 36 of the 37 people on board. tell that I'm a bit of a fan of Victoria. She was a strong, determined woman who knew what she wanted to do with her life in an era when women were still expected to stay at home and raise a family. Victoria has made it easier for girls like my daughter, who wants a career in marine biology, to go out there and do it, regardless of gender. People like this should be regarded as heroes. And there's so much more to Victoria's life that one episode doesn't do her story justice. So this is part one of a two-parter, with more to follow next week. Are you tired of seeing the latest social media trends and fearing the worst? Does the daily news bring you down? Are you looking for something new and fun to listen to? Well, well that's, that's where, where we, we come, come in. in. Hi. Hi. It's Frankie. And Garrett. 
and we host the ever-trending story a weekly podcast where we present a fictional story utilizing the hottest happenings in the world and bring it straight to your earbuds you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts just go to anchor.fm slash evertrendingpod and subscribe today in the news today an actor fell through the floorboards Apparently, it was just a stage he was going through. Back in the day, facts. And so we start on the 13th of January, 1942 when Henry Fonda patents a soya bean car, which is 30% lighter than a regular car. This was a concept car built with agricultural plastic. The New York Times in 1941 said the car body and fenders were made from a strong material derived from soybeans, wheat and corn, and was designed to run on hemp fuel. On the 14th of January, 1899, RMS Oceanic is launched She's the largest ship afloat since Brunel's SS Great Eastern. At the outbreak of World War I, she was converted to an armed merchant cruiser. On the 8th of August, 1914, she was commissioned into the Royal Navy Service. On the 25th of August, 1914, the newly designed HMS Oceanic departed Southampton to patrol the waters from the North Scottish mainland to Faroe. On the 8th of September, Oceanic ran aground and was wrecked off the island of Fola in the Shetland Islands. On the 15th of January, 1859, an African trading ship, the Porto Novo, was destroyed in a fire while unloading in Redcliffe Wharf, Bristol. Also on the 15th of January, but in 1919, there was the Great Molasses Flood, also known as the Boston Molasses Disaster. It's where a wave of molasses weighing approximately 12,000 metric tonnes burst from an exploding storage tank, and the resultant wave of molasses rushed through the streets at an estimated 35 miles an hour, killing 21 people and injuring 150. This event entered local folklore and residents reported for decades afterwards that the area still smelled of molasses on hot summer days. On the 16th of January, 1917, The Zimmermann telegram is sent from Germany to Mexico, stating in the event of US entering World War I on the Allied side, Mexico would be given Texas, Arizona and New Mexico. This message was intercepted by British intelligence and partially deciphered by the next day. So its release in March shifted the US public opinion in favour of war against Germany. On the 17th of January 1775, Nine elderly women are burnt as witches for causing bad harvests in Kalisk, Poland. On the 18th of January 1919, Bentley Motors Limited is founded by Walter Owen Bentley in London, England. And lastly, on the 19th of January 1986, the AIDS charity record, That's What Friends Are For, by Dionne Warwick, with Elton John, Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder, hits number one. And so that's the end of another show. 
And if you want to find out what else happens to Victoria Drummond, you're going to have to tune in next week. But before I leave you, I have to thank those who really brought today's show to life. And today, they're Rose Hales, Steve Shepherd, and Steve Yeo. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>